Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and in this podcast, I recommend music, TV shows, and movies to my friends and family, and to all of you out there who are listening. In today's episode, primarily, we'll be discussing the first episode of the Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon, an episode called The Heirs of the Dragon. My sister will be joining me for most of that breakdown. And for some of you, I do actually know some folks who are coming into the Game of Thrones universe through this series. And I do believe that they are going to play that game exactly that way. It makes perfect sense that in the true prequels, there would be no spoilers for a future series, a series of events that occurs almost 200 years beyond the point of this show right now. If you were wondering, can I go in without having watched Game of Thrones? I would say absolutely. You could probably, I'm pretty certain I should say that you can come in cold and then wait to watch Game of Thrones or even watch it in parallel. I do not think that there would be any harm in doing either of those. To that point, I in general will plan to not spoil big events that happen in Game of Thrones. And if we do, perhaps I have a feeling that there will be many paralleling storylines. If we do have those moments in the show, I think I'll give everybody a spoiler warning for that. But in general, I will try to avoid Game of Thrones spoilers in our coverage of the show here. All of that being said, <laughs> I'm about to spoil the end of Game of Thrones because what I want to spend the first few minutes here covering is the ways that I honestly think that final season of the show, which a lot of people did not like, could have been saved. And believe it or not, most of the repairing to that season could have been done even in post-production, or I should say it would definitely require some additional production, but hey, they were not on the clock. There's no reason that they couldn't go back. And as a matter of fact, most of the suggestions I'm going to make could still be made today. They could re-edit that season and fix those issues that I think pretty much everybody is pretty dissatisfied with that final season. That's not to say you shouldn't watch the show. It's one of the most exceptionally produced shows of all times. And some of these episodes really are some of the best written television ever, despite those issues that almost everybody has with the final season, including myself. So just a warning that I will be spoiling that. But if you skip that conversation, if you're new to this series completely, you can jump ahead to our coverage of this first episode. Check the show notes for timestamps. And we will mostly be avoiding spoilers there. I mean, we may say this character reminds me of this character, but we won't give away any big plot twists. Before I get into my commentary on that final season, just a reminder that you can reach us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all of these episodes become available. Later in the week, Sona and I will be discussing the finale of Only Murders in the Building, season two wrapping up this week of that very, very successful Hulu show. And that episode should be out before the weekend. If you don't follow us regularly, we've also been discussing She-Hulk. And of course, last week just wrapped up the series and season finale of Better Call Saul. So do catch up on those shows if you haven't yet. And if you subscribe, you'll get notifications when all of those episodes become available. And then next week, of course, continuing to cover House of the Dragon week to week, plus covering a brand new show on Hulu also. Now that Only Murders in the Building is wrapping up, there's a new non-comedic thriller filling that void, a very intriguing looking show called The Patient, a serial killer thriller starring Steve Carell and Damal Gleason, hot on the heels of another show we covered here, on the podcast Blackbird on Apple TV+. And if you haven't caught up on that one, I highly recommend. And of course, check out our episodes relating to Blackbird as well. So that's all yet to come. The Patient, House of the Dragon. Oh, and one more thing. Within about a week and a half now, we will see the premiere of the Lord of the Rings series, another fantasy prequel series, interestingly running in parallel with this 
Game of Thrones spinoff. And I will be watching both shows in parallel and seeing where they're succeeding, where they're failing. Obviously, two hugely influential series that are now getting very expensive prequels. Both of the networks for which they are being produced have a lot hanging in the balance with, for the success of these shows, especially with a lot of the shakeups that are happening at HBO right now, along with Amazon Prime, in the case of The Lord of the Rings show, making a $1 billion investment on that series. So all of that will be covered in the next two months or so. If you'd like to support the show, make sure you subscribe, invite your friends and family to give us a listen, and of course, give us a positive review on any podcasting app on which you happen to be listening to us right now. Just tap the five star or the like button. Okay, with all of that out of the way, I believe that the finale of the Game of Thrones series has probably replaced Lost or Dexter for fans with the most unhappy reaction to the finale of those episodes. And the argument I would make is that I agree. I, I first of all, agree. I'm not a huge fan of how things played out there. However, I would say that I can see on paper what they were trying to do, and I think they could have been successful with it. The biggest issue with that final season is how rushed it is, in my opinion. You have just these six episodes. Some of them are extremely long, so it doesn't really make sense that they needed to make them as long as they were. And simultaneously, it feels extremely rushed. So these very long episodes, but also very rushed feeling. And that is basically the critique I would make. Before I get into this, I want to call out one thing that I can completely and utterly appreciate. I actually recommend, whether you like that final season, which you probably didn't, or even if you didn't, to watch the documentary, the making of that final season of the show, which is available on HBO. And the reason I would recommend it is, is because you get to see why things in a way were so rushed. There was this exhaustion on the behalf of these folks who are making the show. It wasn't just the overexposure of the actors. It wasn't just that the creators wanted to go and do other things, other projects. That's what we're talking about, the marquee names on the project itself. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the artisans behind the scenes. They have this Irish couple, I believe they're Irish, who basically got brought in to design and decorate authentic looking knickknacks for the sets. This is relatively minor work. I mean, important to the look and feel of the show, but these people are not probably even going to get an Emmy nomination or get their work recognized at all. And they're just this mom and pop shop, literally. And they basically get recruited during shoot the shooting of the first pilot of the show. And then of course that pilot gets reshot and then the whole season gets shot. So this is almost a year and a half or more before the show even premieres on HBO. This is when they start working on the series. And then for almost a decade, almost an entire decade, they are traveling around the world. They are doing nothing. Their whole entire business has become doing nothing but working on Game of Thrones. It's a seven, eight month commitment per year. And then they take a break just to catch their breath before production starts again. And they sometimes have to travel. They have to put their kids in boarding school for long periods of time. Their kids have grown from being little kids to being teenagers. And all of this is to say that this was happening to thousands of people all over the world associated to this show. And I'm sure they got paid very, very well. They probably made way more money than they possibly would have made if this hadn't happened to them. But they were exhausted. It's a decade of their lives burnt up on this show. So I understand. I'm appreciative of the fact that they wanted this thing to wrap up, which I think is what leads us in part to this disappointing final. So some ways you could have repaired some of the problems there. First of all, I would say take a break. If everyone needs a year or two off, HBO is not going to say no. I'm sure they pressured them. They, they wanted to get it done. But The Sopranos took a big break before the final season. Option number two, hand over the show to fresher hands, maybe a new showrunner. Now, I understand the showrunners. Obviously, this was their baby. They didn't want to hand it off. But if they really felt like they were not up to the task 
or even questioning whether they were or not, maybe they could have brought in some new blood. They could have supervised and been less hands-on, perhaps. So those are some things that might have helped beforehand. But I want to get into the actual material that we saw on the screen and how that itself could have been salvaged pretty easily. And I don't understand why these shows, which I'm sure have very long post-productions schedules, weren't able to do some of this work. So back to the episode breakdown one by one. The first episode called Winterfell, a lot of table setting and not a great episode. I don't think anyone's going to say that's, oh, that's my favorite, favorite episode of the show. But really, that first episode is really set up to be just table setting. And I think that one can pretty much be left untouched. Okay, second episode, still under an hour, by the way. And I'm going to call out the times here because when I say they needed to make more episodes, basically, and they said, well, they didn't have the time to, but these episodes are one and a half hour long. I mean, slice that episode in half, you have two 50-minute episodes, so I'm not sure how you didn't have time to make that. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, once again, giving some of these episodes, giving some of this material more breathing room would have saved the episode. Okay, the second episode, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. This is when Brienne gets made a knight. This is really the strongest episode of the entire season. I think no one will disagree. And it's a really, really terrific episode. You have all these folks doing what I love the most in this show, where they're contemplating their future or lack thereof, because they all think they're going to die given this army of the dead attack imminently. And this episode, once again, pretty much perfect. I really don't think they needed to fix this one. If anything, I would say we may even need some more of these grace note scenes between these different characters as they are contemplating their future. I would let that roll over. And here's where things start to change. The next episode, very disappointing to me, although a spectacle to watch, The Long Night. This is the one and a half hour battle against the Army of the Dead, which I am shocked that it resolved itself so easily when you have to consider how drawn out and painful so many of these wars have been on the show, and that this even foretold, foretold as the extinction of all of humanity, turns out to end relatively abruptly after, granted, a very, very long episode, but I still feel like that is not sufficient. So how would I have resolved this? Like I mentioned before, I would have had even more, even more of those grace notes that we saw in the second episode. And I would have seen the buildup of this battle little by little. Like maybe when we see the dead being resurrected inside the castle, maybe that starts happening earlier on. So now they're suddenly fighting inside the castle. The army of the dead is still amassing outside and it's building up little by little. We see Bran maybe coaching Arya because maybe he has some vision of the future and he's coaching her how he she needs to play this like doing almost the Doctor Strange multiverse trick before that movie even was even released and playing out scenarios with Arya which plants the seed of his leadership in the future and that episode would build up more slowly and culminate in a cliffhanger that would be two episodes basically not one episode but two episodes and it would culminate with maybe the peak of the battle where it looked like all hope is lost then we would have a follow-up episode that would continue the battle and the battle wouldn't have been over in a night the battle would be dragged out it would be days later and we would see huge casualties and most importantly of all after episode two where everyone basically made their peace with their death this should have been a bloodbath. We should have lost a big chunk of the main players in this episode. We had set the table. They had said their goodbyes. It was time to give them heroic and honorable deaths. And that episode would resolve itself relatively similarly to how it did. But like I said, I would have inserted additional deaths. I would have inserted additional grace notes. We could have fleshed out some of the soldiers and some of the characters that we knew were disposable on the front lines, which they did a little bit of but we could have added even more of that and developed them over the course of a couple episodes. The battle should have been much more drawn out. The stakes should have felt much higher. And then things start getting really bad. We get to the fourth episode, The Last of the Starks, and this is when everybody starts to turn on this season of the show. And once again, you have this 
day after the battle, and they immediately go to King's Landing to start the next battle, which doesn't make any sense at all. And here's where I would have made a huge revision in the show. I would have had an episode that dealt with the deaths and the fallout of the Long Night. Of course, we would have to do that, considering we would have actually killed off main players in the show. And that could have been a whole episode in and of itself. But also, what you could have developed there was maybe more of Bran's leadership qualities, but much more importantly would be Daenerys, Danny, in the aftermath of the battle, starting to lose it. She had lost maybe some loved ones. She would be furious with King's Landing and Cersei having stood down rather than fighting this extinction level event. And then now this would be episode five in my retelling of this. We would take a break. The show would not continue. It would take a beat. It would take at least three months. Do like a Better Call Saul and just take a few months off before you get to the final episodes. And then when you come back from that break, the battle to King's Landing hadn't been a month. And and honestly, I, I mean, I know people have argued that maybe it is actually years we're seeing in the show. It doesn't feel that way. It really feels like it's a week later, which is partly just a problem of the way the show is constructed. But like I said, you put a break in there and you explicitly say this has been years that they've been battling their way towards King's Landing. And of course, Danny has been getting madder and madder along the way. Jon Snow starts to worry. Tyrion starts to think that maybe Bran is actually the Stark to lead them all. We develop Bran more. He's involved in some of these battles in some more more concrete way. So that it seems inevitable at this point that Danny's going to lose it. And it's just her grounding by John and by Tyrion's counsel, by some of these other people to keep her madness under wraps. But we have to feel that she is fighting against that madness, which then leads us to the bells where she goes and decimates King's Landing. And once again, there's another extremely long, nearly one and a half hour episode. I would do the same thing I would do with the last night. I want to have this split in half. I say the first half should be a fair battle into King's Landing, breaching the walls and eventually getting the army to seed and then ending with the flip switch of Danny. And by the way, you'd barely need to touch this episode because that is pretty much the way that episode is segmented down the middle. And then that would give you a full episode to reflect not on the successful queen that she should, she could have been, but now that that is a impossibility given the fact that she's basically just massacred the entire city. And then you get to actually see that duality in her by splitting these two episodes. And then we come to the final episode, which I would not split, even though it's extremely long. It's fine to have a very long episode at the end of a, such a long series. Danny's madness would have made more sense. Bran's ascension would have made more sense. Tyrion wouldn't feel like a secondary character. If we had killed off a lot of these secondary characters or tertiary characters who play in very little into the main plot in the second half of this season, they would have been killed off earlier on because they really don't matter towards the end anyway, and it would have streamlined all of our sympathies in these last three episodes, or four episodes they would be. And one more huge difference I would make in that final episode. We have that beautiful visual, this kind of fascist artistry of this pivot that Danny's made, and you could make a lot more of that current running under this show with some more breathing room. And John would still be the one who gets close enough to her to finally kill her. But most importantly is the ridiculousness of the fact that after he kills her, that Grey Worm and the army in general doesn't don't just murder him and take vengeance upon him, but they let him live so he can be presented to the king. It all seems preposterous. And what this is such an easy thing to fix because I literally thought it was going to happen as I was watching the episode, which is when the dragon melts the throne and breaches the wall to fly away, 
John jumps on the dragon and flies off, not running away, but the dragon basically waits for him to climb on him and then escapes, leaving John beyond the wall in exile again at the end of the show, but without all the ridiculous logistics of having him survive to go stand trial, to then be exonerated, to then be exiled to the wall. It's just all preposterous. And of course, nobody's happy with any of that. I'm sure some fans would simply be like, I named my daughter after Danny. I do not want her to be the Mad Queen, although that was you know, written in stone from the very beginning. Obviously, they could have tried to change it. They wanted to see Danny be the queen. So those people would always be unhappy with the ending. But for me, I don't mind if a character ends up in a position where I don't want them to be, as long as it feels earned, as long as it, as it feels logical. And that, I feel, is the biggest sin of that whole entire series. And at that point, like I said, you'd have Danny dying, but her pivot would feel more realistic. You'd have John beyond the wall in exile without all the ridiculousness of how did that, how was he allowed to survive that whole entire time? And you have Bran ascending, and we would have planted the seeds of his leadership skills earlier on. And honestly, most of what I just described could have been done in post-productions, a few more special effect scenes, and a whole bunch more scenes of people in dark rooms talking about Danny or talking to Danny. And what would that have cost? Only time, which of course they have. And as a matter of fact, almost all the things I just said can still be done now retroactively. You could go and do this if you wanted to. So that is how I would have tried to change this final season of Game of Thrones. Do you have other things that you would have done you would prefer to have seen? If you had different ideas of fixing that final season, drop me an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And let me know if you want me to read your comments on the air. Okay, let's get into episode one of House of the Dragon, The Heirs of the Dragon. It is declared by all the lords paramount and lords vassal of the seven kingdoms that Prince Viserys Targaryen be made Prince of Dragonstone. Rhaenys, a woman, would not inherit the Iron Throne. The Lords instead chose Viserys, my father. Jaehaerys called the Great Council to prevent a war being fought over his succession, for he knew the cold truth, the only thing that could tear down the House of the Dragon was itself. So, you know, I don't think I ever got your reaction to the finale of Game of Thrones. I felt like it was extremely rushed, and I didn't love the fact that it turns out that the queen is also evil because she's been this queen to look up to this entire time, I thought. And then I felt like they shorted her by doing that. Well, I mean, there's Danny in the, maybe not as fleshed out as well in the series, but in the books, she is constantly having visions of like apocalypses. She's basically riding a dragon and killing people. And she's afraid of this. So you could say this is some kind of destiny she's headed towards that she's seeing this, uh, the future in a way. But it could also just be that she is terrified of being insane like her father, another Mad King. And that's the other thing I was going to say. Is it possible that because it runs in her family, yeah. she went mad there? It was never 
fully explained. Right. That's why everybody mistrusted her in the first place. But then you could say, well, just because her dad was mad, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen to her. And as we see in this prequel, and we're going to get into it in more detail, that, you know, they did have a century of peace, uh, you know, before. But there's a lot of betrayal to, to come, right? So before we get uh, into that, the uh, this is actually based on George R.R. R. Martin's book called Fire and Blood, which is a 300-year history. Now, by the way, this guy has not written another Game of Thrones book in 11 years. He keeps promising they'll, they're on the way. They're not coming, everybody. They're not coming. But he did have time to write this nearly 1,000-page history of the Targaryen family. <laughs> and there's another one coming this Christmas. So he's been to plenty of time to write thousands of pages of this fake history, but not to finish off the story he started uh, a decade, two decades ago at this point. The entirety of that book, which I have not read, so when I make my speculations here or when we make our speculations here, that uh, it's just based on the show itself. I don't know what's going to happen in the books, although, like I mentioned, in that history, he has outlined who kills who, who becomes king, who yada, yada, yada. But I'm not spoiling myself reading that book. I'm just watching the show and trying to appreciate it. Maybe I'll read the books later if I really like the series and I want to get a little more detail. But it's written not like a narrative. It's written like a history book. So I think there's almost a commentary here when you see her friend, Alicent, is reading those histor this, that historical text to her. It's as if that's excerpts probably from the original text. So... It's based on that George R. R. Martin history that he's kind of written into these books. And uh, HBO has spent a fortune on this, spent hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, just $100 million just advertising this. And then, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars more to shoot this show. And that's just one season of it. So I'm sure there'll be more to come. So a big uh, investment on their part. And I don't think we have to break down this episode, this episode's beat by beat, because I think there's kind of like this broad swath of what's being conveyed here is we meet our main players. We open, actually, with the narration of the princess, Princess Renya. Renya. So, of course, she's going to be very important. <laughs> the narrator is usually an important character in the show. We see that she likes to spend her time on a dragon, even though she's supposed to be preparing to be more of a more servile. And she has a best friend, Alicent, who is also the daughter of the Hand, Alicent Hightower. And the first character we meet here is King Viserys, her father, played by Patty Constantine. And my first question to you is, what did you think of the King character? I, where I find interesting in the show so far is that there's some complexity to each of these characters. You could read him as being very naive. You could also read him as just being like, he wants to be a peacetime king. He's coming, you know, the previous king was a peacetime king and he just wants to maintain the peace in the land. His brother doesn't see it that way, obviously. But before we get into all those other characters, what, what's your read on the king from this first meeting with him? I do find him a little weak, and I don't think it's something that is going to be a surprise to anyone. He does a lot of things that are questionable. He is very emotional also. He says his brother is very emotional and clearly is massively impulsive and very violent. But this king wants to be liked. He wants to keep the peace. He kind of wants the world to be easy breezy. That's what he's hopes for. And he's let the kingdom go a little bit to hell. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of things that are happening that he's not acknowledging in his perfect world that he's trying to maintain. So I found him a little weak. But at the same time, I feel sorry for him. You know, he's got like all this pressure. He had to make that really, really hard decision. He really loved his wife. She was probably the backbone of his kingdom. That's the read I got from the king. Yeah, I agree with most of that. I 
wonder if the city's really that out of control or if it's kind of being played up a little bit to get more power to the city guard. But in general, I do agree that I think he is a peacetime king. He's kind of inherited that and you know, probably grew up with a very peaceful time. And now he's kind of inherited the kingdom. And there is this contention whether he should even be king or not, right? We see later on that there are still loyalists to who to the queen that never was. So there's all that happening. And he, like you said, is just kind of just wants everything to be okay. Maybe that's not real realistic, right? It's not, but at the end, you get more respect for him after he's really suffered and made the hard decisions and been pushed into corners he didn't want to be pushed into. He then does the right thing. But then that being said, what other options did he have? His brother had really pissed him off previous to that. So I'm wondering, is that another emotional decision? Because it was the right decision. So good for him. I think he made the right decision. But was it because he was pushed into a corner and he became wiser or because he's emotionally reacting again? He's like, well, it's this or this. And he really made me mad. Well, you know what? I'm going to leave the brother for last because I have the most to say about him. And I wonder about his motivation. So, so it, And it kind of lines up with what you're describing there, too. Next character I wanted to touch on was just, you know, the hand. We have Otto Hightower. He seems to be a pretty steady hand. He obviously, I think, wants to help the king. He might have his own agenda, but for the most part, I think he's just trying to be a good politician. The weirdest thing that happens here is that he sends his daughter in there to obviously try to not only soothe the king, but maybe make a sexual play for him, which is a little bit creepy. But then it made me think about <laughs> the fact that back in the day, that's what you had daughters for, right? So I'm like, maybe it's not as weird as I it came off at, you know, to me watching it here. I thought it was creepy, you know, an hour day. And I agree with you back then, this might've been an honor. <laughs> Go seduce the king. You know, I'm doing you a favor. You're going to like this. Trust me. But he still sees that she is not prepared yeah, for absolutely. this kind of seduction or whatever he's implying in the moment. She's like her nail beds are bleeding. She's like a nervous wreck all the time. She's definitely not prepared to do that today. And so I, I'm wondering, like, what was he thinking? Does he think like she's going to be impregnated with a new heir? You know, like, how far did he think that through? Oh, obviously, that's the intention. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen that night, but I think he's, you know, that's starting to work his way uh, in that direction, which is creepy. But like I said, that's how it was back then, right? I mean, think about in Game of Thrones, how many times is... Um, you know, Ned trying to get his daughters married off to someone to have heirs, right? Yeah, it still came off odd. I'm wondering about all these characters, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Because I, I think the first show that we watch, the first episode of everything becomes an introduction. So they did oh, yeah. a great job with yeah. this introduction. Yeah. There was so much action in this. Mm -hmm. Really good. So also on his council, importantly, I think, is we have Lord... Uh, Carlos Valerian, who's played by Steve Toussaint. Uh, Toussaint. By the way, uh, Otto Hightower is played by Reef Evans, another famous um, British actor. But uh, Lord uh, Corliss Valerian. And what I think is interesting about him is, first of all, he seems very serious. He seems to see what's happening. Like, for example, 
a very interesting scene very early on where they're saying that, look, this guy's attacking our these pirates, uh, Al alcoves near our, our lands. And he goes, well, isn't that good for us? And it's like, yeah, but you, on the one hand, yes, because you know we don't want those pirates. But on the other hand, what what's their broader scheme? And the Kim seems to be like, oh, let's not worry about that. You know, I'm waiting for my son to be born, right? So this guy seems to be sharper and also seems to be very serious, doesn't want it to have any wine during those council meetings. However, all that being said, he also has... A dog in the fight, for example, for uh, the uh, uh, you know who who inherits the throne, considering his wife has maybe the stronger claim for the actual crown, right? Yeah, I love the way this is starting off. So this maybe another naive thing that the, the happens here is that the king is so excited for his, the birth of his son. He has a vision, actually a vision. Apparently, the the Targaryens actually have legitimate visions because <laughs> a lot of the stuff they see in their dreams actually turns out to happen. And uh, he does have a dream, but he thinks it's a happy dream of his son being born. He doesn't realize, you know, what he's actually envisioning there. But he's so excited by this that he pre prematurely decides to have a, like a, a tournament, tournament. A, a tournament, right? And we see that it starts off pretty civil, but it gets pretty bloody. And uh, simultaneously, like intercutting with that bloody action in the field during the tournament, is of course his wife having the worst cesarean section of all times. <laughs> that was so awful. Once again, it made you think about how horrible childbirth used to be back in the day without modern technology. Epidurals are good. Everybody <laughs> should, you know, opt for that. If they ask, you'll be all right. And anything else interesting during the tournament? I touched on a couple of things. One is that one of the knights is showing his allegiance to the queen that never was. So there's a potential uh, intrigue coming through that. And of course, we see Matt Smith playing, and we have to circle around to this character for sure, uh, the king's brother. Prince Damon Targaryen, who has the most interesting, potentially, agenda here behind all the scenes. But what did you think about his performance in the tournament? I had a feeling he was going to be like a real ugly fighter. And he does. He kind of does a cheap shot by, uh, you know, going after the horse instead of going after the rider. But in general, he plays fair, even when he loses. What I found most interesting about the tournament, besides the fact that he's throwing this tournament, again, very odd judgment. Like, he, he's like in his own planet, the king. But anyway. That violent death that was yes. so unnecessary yep. and brutal. And what was he trying to prove there? I mean, people were just appalled, except for, you know, the ones that are entertained. But those are sadists. <laughs> it was so extreme. Well, I think, I mean, if that's not just gore to, you know, give the you know little red meat to people who want to see everything in this show, and that could be a criticism of getting... A lot of what we want right out of the gate, uh, a lot of the violence and you know, graphically showing some of those kills. I think if there's any point to it, it's what they actually mention in the dialogue itself, saying that these guys have not had war for a long time. And this is a way for them to kind of like vent their frustration or their energies and ambitions. So let them kill themselves here, basically, rather than you know starting to fight wars across the country, which I think was the point of tournaments back in the day anyway. The fact that things get so ugly might mean that once again, that there might be a little, uh, you know, blood in the air, especially with the air dying. And once again, there's going to be questions about the next air. My favorite character is definitely the brother. I'm so mm -hmm. used to seeing yeah. him as the husband on the queen. So this is fascinating, by the way. What a good actor. What a yeah. great character he has. Yeah. So let's get to the brother now, because that's kind of I think that's the main players we met. I also want to talk about the princess. We'll talk about her at the very end. First of all, I don't think it's that important at this moment for the fact that she is our 
point of view character for the show. So she hasn't really had her own character defined very well yet. Second of all, they're going to age up the actresses so that her and her friend are both going to be played by different actresses within the next episode or two. So I think that that's going to be the actresses we're going to be have the main relationship with. But anyway, we'll talk about her in more detail at the end. But let's spend some time talking about Matt Smith as Prince Damon Targaryen, because like you said, he is definitely the most fascinating character here. And it's as if they've rolled together three or four different characters from the original Game of Thrones into one character, which is maybe a little much to put on him because it's hard for me to read what his intentions are. But once again, I think that's probably the intention of what the show's doing. But you see, for example, that he doesn't show up at the council at the beginning, but then he shows up He's sitting on the throne, obviously a total insult to his brother. And, you know, they're saying he could have his head. A different king could have easily had him like beheaded for doing that. But of course, his brother's not going to do that. And then, you know, he's spying on the council at one point. He has a very creepy interaction with the princess when he gives her some Valerian steel, a new necklace that he, he gets for her before we go into any other points about him. What's your read on his relationship or his fascination with her? This guy is very complicated. So I don't know if he's exactly bad yet. Mm -hmm, Um, The read I'm getting is that he is very, very entitled. And if he is thinking anything naughty about his niece, he is totally fine with it. He's not shamed by it. And he he acts on it. And he gives her a necklace. It's not like he showed her his pee-pee or anything. (laughs) Right. I mean, even though it's creepy, maybe it's not creepy when he does it. Right now is the impression I'm getting because this is just the way he acts. This guy who publicly has sex with people in brothels that he buys out for the night. He has no shame. He doesn't care. He thinks all his decisions are great. He's super impulsive. And he, he just acts on all his impulses I have a different read on that. I mean, I could read this multiple ways, but my theory of the case right now is you think about the conversation he has with that prostitute who he obviously has a close relationship with her. Uh, You know, he actually introduces her to his dragon at the end of, and that's not a metaphor, by the way, (laughs) by the end of the show, (laughs) although he does that too, (laughs) but um, all the time, yeah, apparently, Uh, but uh, beyond that, she even says to him, uh, what's bothering you tonight, whatever. And she says, I can even get you. Maybe I can find you another girl to come in here, maybe one with white hair. So then that may be like, well, she trying to say like, oh, I know you're attracted to your niece. But my theory actually is because there's another piece of dialogue there in the middle of the show that kind of hints at something uh, sketchy about the relationship between the father and the uh, daughter. I think that maybe he is the father of the princess. So he he might actually be her father. And I actually think, here's my theory. And by the way, not read the book. So if I'm on the mark, don't tell me, (laughs) don't email me anybody. (laughs) I'm just guessing here, just reading the, the show, the episode. I think that he might be playing it like he's shocked by the King's, you know, him moving him as the next heir. But I actually think, you know, he is doing this on purpose to promote his daughter, right? So that's the, his actual game there, because it seems so odd that he's there listening in on what the council says. And then his reaction is to go to the brothel and then say that thing in public. It's almost like he's egging his brother on as much as he can to make that decision, which his brother won't make. Right. Like, think about it. His brother has gone on and on and on, endangered his wife's life 
to have this male heir that he's obsessed with instead of just giving it to his daughter. And then I think he's just like saying, I'm going to push you into a corner. And like you said earlier on, and you were like, what is his motivation? I think this is his motivation, like that he is playing four, di four dimensional chess here and that that is that he got what he wanted at the end, basically. My family has just been destroyed. But instead of being by my side or near us, you chose to celebrate your own rise, laughing with your whores and your leg spittles. You have no allies at court but me. I have only ever defended you. Yet everything I've given you, you've thrown back in my face. You've only ever tried to send me away to the Vale, to the City Watch, anywhere but by your side. Ten years you've been king, and yet not once have you asked me to be your hand. Why would I do that? Because I'm your brother. And the blood of the dragon runs thick. Then why do you cut me so deep? I've only ever spoken the truth. I see Otto Hightower for what he is. An unwavering and loyal a hand. A cunt. A second son who stands to inherit nothing he doesn't seize for himself. Otto Hightower is a more honorable man than you could ever be. He doesn't protect you. I would. From what? Yourself. You're weak, Viserys. And that council of leeches knows it. They all prey on you for their own ends. That would be such a good show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's what's happening. Yeah, because I'm not reading him as like the devil. For all I know, he's, he's called Damon, though. He's called Damon. Like, <laughs> so that's the only thing. Yeah. Point. Well, what if he's the wise one? How do I know this from the first show? But right. I think that a lot of people... Or maybe they're trying to get you to just be like, oh, that's the evil brother. And right. that's the nice yes. brother. Yep, exactly. I think that's what they're playing with there. Exactly. And then, of course, the princess, you know, he he kicks out his brother. The princess does become the heir apparent. And he also tells her this prophecy that they uh, apparently all the leaders need to know about. And of course, that prophecy is what we see in the Game of Thrones series in the Ice and Fire books which is the rise of the army of the dead and which circles this all back to the other series as well. And yeah, that's where we end things on episode one. You seem very enthusiastic about it. Oh my gosh. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I like when I'm watching something and I'm like thrilled while I'm watching it. I'm sipping my wine. I just finished work. I'm so riveted by everything that's happening. I love the characters. I'm worried about them. I wonder what their motivations are. It's gorgeous to yeah. look at. Gorgeous. So, and this is my thing, by the way. Like, I watch a lot of stuff that is not my thing. And then I do have stuff that um, I'm a, like this kind of thing where it's like a fairy tale. Oh, you don't like fantasy. I thought you didn't like fantasy. I like fantasy that's gory and kind of depressing. <laughs> like dark, dark fantasy. Yeah. And I can relate to it. So I like it. I don't like fantasy where it's just lights and people are doing things really fast and there's no point and everyone says weird stuff and then you know people like it because it's a throwback to the 80s or something like i don't like that kind of stuff but this is great this is high quality and dark yeah they spend a fortune on this uh the i don't even know what their spend budget is but it's got to be tens of millions of dollars per episode and uh yeah it looks great from the start uh, 
like you mentioned, you know, uh, to judge it against like Game of Thrones, I mean, the pilot of Game of Thrones, if you remember all the way back to that, didn't cost anywhere near as much as this and, you know, has a great final moment, which obviously is like a hook for the rest of the season. I won't spoil it if people haven't seen it, but basically it does set up uh, things. It sets up a, a villain who turns out to not be much of, as much a villain by the end of the show. That's Jamie, of course. And I think that is a correlation we're making here. If you want to have um, Matt Smith's character, uh, you know, correlating to anybody, I think it's kind of like the Jamie character, right? The guy that you think is the bad guy, but really is he like, what's his real agenda, right? So I think that that's kind of what they're playing with there. And I feel like they're trying to draw parallels to things that people loved in the first show as well. I have a feeling that they could make this very successful for the fact that you have these you know, this historical text as it's written by George R. R. Martin going like this king died on this day. His inheritor was this. Uh, this battle was fought and then this guy won and yada, yada, yada. It's like really like two sentences per historical event. So you can spin that into many, many complicated interrelationships and backstabbing and secret agents and, you know, that you can fill that in any way you want to. So there's a lot that you can do in between those events. So yeah, I think they have a real opportunity here to do something really good. I thought it looked amazing. I thought the pacing was, uh, like you said, was very good. I had kind of a chip on my shoulder. I don't know why I was looking forward to this. And then when I actually sat down to watch it yesterday, I almost didn't even like watch it. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll watch it tomorrow or something. I just, for some reason, was kind of reluctant to even turn it on. And I did, even with that kind of a little bit of hesitancy, I did get sucked in. And of course, that's important because we don't have any of the returning characters from the original series. So we have to like build new relationships with new characters. And I think they did a good job of setting the table right now, whether it'll get better or worse from here. I don't know. Right. It's too early to tell. But uh, I did think this was a strong first episode. Yeah, I agree. I'm so excited that I like this because I felt the same way you did where I'm like, am I going to like this? Um, I don't, you know, at some point we should talk about like, why did the other show end so freaking abruptly? Did you hear my, uh, did you hear that, that audio I sent you? What's Even that? better would be everything you said yeah. up to, you know, she becomes queen, it fades out. And then the following week is an entire episode of the kingdom. Now that she's gone mad a few years later. And that's how you end the series. <laughs> wow, that'd be a very dark ending. <laughs> yes, that would be the best ending. That way, if they ever want to kick it off again, you could start right there. You know, what's interesting about that, reading it that way, is that the beginning of the show, the very, very beginning, in retrospect, right? It's We hear that the Mad King is dead, right? And that, you know, Jamie is the the king killer right he was like you know he was supposed to be his king's guard and he killed him right so that's why jamie's the biggest villain in all of the kingdom that's the instigating uh you know event and then we find out from jamie later on that he was trying to protect everybody because the mad king was about to burn king's landing to the ground rather than give up his throne and he was actually trying to save all those people who lived in king's landing because the you know the dragon's breath uh would have blown up the whole entire city so now here we go after this whole entire series season to go to the end. And there is, you know, this mad queen, you know, it would like the whole story would come full circle. And then would John be at, at her side and would he have to make that same decision that Jamie did? Right. So they have to parallel all those stories back to each other. Yeah. John, he would be by her side only if he thought he was the one close enough to rein her in when she made mad decisions. I don't even think he'd be at her side for any other reason or 
he could be so disgusted by the outcome, by what she's turned into, what she's done to the world, that he becomes an arch enemy. I think the best ending would be she is now the mad queen ruling the world. There is chaos and darkness everywhere. And all of these other characters who are still not dead would have to come together to figure out how to get her off the <laughs> you, need, you need a whole other season. Yeah, another game yes, New that's game if you want it's a reboot. another season. <laughs> well, nobody wanted would, another season, right? No I knows. would end it with her just ruling everything in darkness. But if anybody ever wanted another season, you could start it right there and kick off a whole new series. I have one more thing to mention to you. HBO has now picked up a pilot for a new show and... Uh, the actor who plays Jon Snow, whose name I can't remember right now, has signed on for the se- series, and it's going to be Jon Snow after the Game of Thrones season, Beyond the Wall. So I think that is really interesting because you can imagine them introducing a whole bunch of new characters. There could be a new threat beyond the wall, and uh, whether he wants to be on the show or not, you can imagine that you know the story can move back down beyond the wall. And, you know, even if he doesn't want to come back for another season or just wants to come in sporadically, then, you know, you could just introduce a whole new squad of people in that season, in that series, I should say, and then a whole new threat. And they could continue the story. If people didn't like the way things wrapped up, you can extend the story. There's no reason to not go further if they wanted to. And when I saw the end of that, I said, maybe there's a kickoff after this. Maybe that's why they ended it like this. Definitely. It was too rushed. I like the way you set it up. But I believe that it was so rushed that even if they had had one extra long episode instead of where it stopped, it would have made people less pissed off. Oh, I agree. And the craziest thing. Even one. Yeah. And, And the craziest thing about it is it's the way it's in the text. Like I said, they could have actually fixed this in the edit in some ways because it really does feel. Like it's months later that she's in King's Landing. Like she's really left. Like they they literally are saying like we are leaving. You know, in that episode after the the, the longest night, they're they're leaving and they're like we're on our way to King's Landing. And it feels like it's just you know weeks or months later. And I'm like, why not just even if you had the next episode the following week, just be like two years later. Like she's been fighting for two years incessantly against this army. And she's like at the end of her rope. She's lost her mind. When I say why rush it, I don't mean like why make it so few episodes? Why rush the timeline in the story? Like why? There's no rush. What's the point? It's so crazy. I agree. You know, I wasn't even mad that she, you know, took over the world. Yeah. I just don't, I wasn't convinced, which is the problem, right? Yes. That's what it was. Because people are like, how could she turn bad now? Um, I'm like, I get where you're coming from. I do see that point. But if they did it right, I it wouldn't I would find it intriguing that they went that way as a choice. You know, I would. If I was convinced, yes, it was just too fast. Yeah. All right, we gotta wrap it up, but maybe we'll talk later this week and I'll get your review of Beast. Tell me if you liked it or not. And I'll I give liked you my it. review. You did? And I'll give you my I review. Did. I'll give you my review of a movie I just saw, which is Bodies, 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 which uh, I really liked a lot, uh, more than I expect. It was very clever the way it wraps up its story, I would say. Anyway, so uh, we can talk about that later in the week. Okay. All right. We will come back and cover episode two next week. All right. All right. Talk to you. <laughs> Bye.